You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. I stand here in front of you and say in all my heart, I believe that if Judas had not hung himself, but crawled to the foot of the cross and asked Jesus for forgiveness, Jesus would have forgiven him. That's how forgiving our God is. Had Saul saw his errors and come to God and come to the Lord with true repent of heart, he would have asked and he would have been restored. But Saul didn't do it. His heart was prideful. His heart was so hardened that he didn't do that. Whether it's a lack of comprehension or our own bitterness, we are sometimes surprised by the depth of God's grace towards others. As Pastor Dave will teach you in his message today, a repentant Judas, or in context of our study, Saul, came to God with a contrite heart. They too would have been forgiven. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16 as he begins his message, The Boy Who Would Be King. So we're in chapter 16. So as we concluded chapter 15 last week, we read Samuel broke fellowship with King Saul. King Saul had broken the Lord's commandments. He had lied. He had deceived the nation. And because of these sins, he forfeited the crown. God rejected him as king, which is a sad time. I want to read three scriptures from last week. Look at 1526. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And let's look at 34 and 35 of 15. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Remember, remember this word regret. Doesn't mean that the Lord had regrets. The Lord knew everything that was going on. Remember, there's a long name for it. I can't remember the name. But it means that God is trying, what the writers of the Bible made it as if God was speaking in human terms. So that's why the word regret is there. Doesn't mean God had regret. Samuel was mourning. Samuel was mourning Saul. Was he mourning because he failed as a spiritual leader? Remember, Samuel had been rejected as the leader and they rejected his sons also because of their deceit. They rejected Samuel because he was old. Did Samuel mourn because he failed as a mentor to the new king? Or or maybe both. Samuel knew it wasn't his place to see Saul. It was Saul's place to come to him and humble himself and ask for repentance and confess his sin. If he did it, he probably would have not restored the kingdom to Saul. But the Lord would have restored his heart, Saul's heart. Our God is a forgiving God. And I stand here this morning, or this evening, whenever the heck it is, I stand here in front of you and say in all my heart, I believe that if Judas had not hung himself, 
but crawled to the foot of the cross and asked Jesus for forgiveness, Jesus would have forgiven him. That's how forgiving our God is. Had Saul saw his errors and come to God and come to the Lord with true repent of heart, he would have asked and he would have been restored. But Saul didn't do it. His heart was prideful. His heart was so hardened that he didn't do that. And they probably never saw each other again. But Samuel wasn't a cold, dispassionate messenger of God's word. He hurt for Saul. His heart was broken. Not only for Saul, but his heart was broken for the nation. And his heart was broken for himself. The wording used these last verses in chapter 15 describes someone mourning for a lost loved one. This truly reveals the heart of Samuel. Samuel had a true heart for those that he served. And he loved Saul. In ministry... There will always be incidents that are hurtful. There will always be incidents that are regrettable. There will always be sad times, hard times. There will be times of pain. There will be times of problems. And there will be times of great disappointments. There are those times when you feel like giving up. There are those times when you want to mourn that which was lost or even mourn those who are lost. But the Lord never stops moving. The Lord is always on the move. He does not want us to look at past disappointments or past failures. He wants us to move forward in his love. And sometimes this can be the most difficult thing you've ever had to do is move forward in his love while you're in ministry. Hardest thing I've ever had to do was stand before you the day after Pastor Frank died. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my entire life, was stand before you and teach God's word. I didn't want to. Dave Coyle was ready to teach that day. Dave Coyle had called me and said, I'll be down there and I will teach that day for you. And I talked to my pastor, Pastor Frank Ippolito, and I had a call from Jerry Paradise from Calvary, Philadelphia. And we talked and we prayed together. And they both say, Dave, you have to teach. The Lord is calling you to teach, so you must teach. It was the toughest thing I ever had to do. I don't regret it. Because the Lord was with me. And the Lord pushed me and used me. See, the Lord never stops moving. When the Lord has something to say, he wants to say it, and he wants to say it to his people, his children. He has something he has to say. I had spent all week long developing a, 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 a Thanksgiving message. And I'd never taught a Thanksgiving message the entire time I've been down here for eight years. Never taught a Thanksgiving message. And it was called Give Thanks. And I had to stand before you And I didn't change one thing out of that message. I taught it just as it was, just as the Lord gave it to me. Hardest thing I've ever had to do as a pastor. But we have to move forward and demonstrate our faith. If we truly believe what we believe and what we say we believe, we must move forward. I had to demonstrate what I had been preaching and teaching you about. Because if I failed to do that, What example would I have been? But the Lord was with me and his spirit strengthened me. You know the verses in Ecclesiastes 3 and 4, there's the time to mourn. But we also read in Exodus 14, 15 and Joshua 7, 10 that both Moses and Joshua were told when to act. They were told when to move on. So there is a time to act. And Samuel, the time had arrived for him to act. God still had work for Samuel to accomplish. No matter how he felt about himself, no matter how he felt badly about Saul or the nation, no matter how much he was mourning, God asked Samuel to get going. 
Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from the reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. It's been 32 years. 32 years had passed since Samuel had anointed Saul, king of Israel, in chapter 10. See, God will never allow his work to die with the death or failure of a man. It's God's work, and it goes beyond us. It goes beyond man. Perhaps Samuel was paralyzed with mourning because of Saul's tragic rebellion, but God was not paralyzed. God wanted to move. God had already chosen the next king of Israel, and he wanted Samuel now to go to Bethlehem and anoint him. Go to the house of Jesse, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And you know what? I got stuck on this verse. I have provided myself a king among sons. And it's very interesting to me because my mind kept on going to when Abraham took Isaac up to the mountain. God says a similar thing. Here he says, I've provided myself a king among his sons, talking about Jesse. And when Abraham had Isaac on the mountain, ready to sacrifice him, following God's command, you know the story. Isaac looked around and says, Father, Father, we have the wood. But where's the sacrifice? Scripture says, Abraham said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. We know who that sacrifice eventually was. It was Jesus Christ. It was our own Jesus Christ, our beloved Savior. See, God is always so far out in front of us that it's difficult to keep up with him sometimes. He is always so far out in front of us. He's already in the next week or so when we're still like trying to figure out what's going on now. He's moved. He's gone. He sees everything. He sees the big picture. He knows all things. Israel wanted a king. They wanted a human king, one of their own choosing. God wanted him to be king. God said, I'm your king. I want this to be a theocracy, which means governed of God. That's what Israel means. I want to be your king. But they rejected God's leadership. They wanted a human king, so God allowed them to have Saul. He gave them what they wanted, even though Samuel warned them time and time and time again what an earthly king would do. God knew Saul would fall. God knew he would fail. He had already told him in 1 Samuel 13 that he had sought for himself a man after his own heart. God does not allow man's failure to stop him. God does not allow man's failure to stop him. We don't have to fear for the future when we know that God has provided for himself leaders. In some likely place, right now, God is raising up leaders for his people. He will keep them obscure and hidden till the right time. And then God will raise them up. God always provides leaders. God always provides leaders for his people. But Samuel was fearful of King Saul. Look at verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. This is how far Saul has fallen. This is how far Saul has fallen. Samuel knows that if Saul finds out that he's going to anoint another as king, Saul would try to kill him so that anointing wouldn't take place. As if man can stop what God wants to do. This is how deranged our thinking is. 
This is how deranged the world's thinking is. The people of this United States, all these people who are running around yelling and screaming, and think if they take God out of the picture, he won't exist. They think if they said, you can't worship him, we won't worship him. What? It doesn't compute. Samuel was a man of God, and he feared for his life, knowing that Saul would rather kill him than have someone else anointed king. This is debauchery. This is pure, sinful hatred. This guy has really fallen to the bottom, and he's going to suffer mighty for it. Saul was trying to hold on something that was not his. God had taken the kingdom from him. God had removed it from him. It wasn't Saul's. In fact, near I say, it never was Saul. It always belonged to God. Someone once told me, in regards to this church, you cannot hold on to that which is not yours. I like that. And I've told you this before. You don't belong to me. You belong to God. You are God's children. You are God's sheep. He loves every single one of you with an everlasting love. Every single one of you was the reason he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. And if there was only one of you here, that person, he was still sent Jesus Christ to the cross. You are God's sheep. And for some insane reason, he's allowed me to have some authority here. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. God gives us all things because all things belong to God. Everything belongs to him. And he can take away anything he wants anytime he chooses. Remember, everything we have, we receive from him. You remember when we studied John 3 in verse 27 and said, a man receives nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Everything we have belongs to God. Scripture tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And we apply this to this case. Everything comes to us according to the direction of God's divine providence. And he's given us different gifts according to the distribution of his divine grace. His grace. I've done more than them all, Paul says. But not I, but the grace that dwells within me. Paul says, it wasn't I that done it. It was the grace of God. It was God's gift. Paul knew it. No man can take any honor for himself. I can't take any honor or glory for what happens here at Calvary Chapel. I can only give God credit for what he's doing and give God glory for how he's working and how he's moving and what's happening when we see how it's going on. We must therefore always depend upon the grace of God in all the motion and actions of our spiritual life. If you're not depending upon the grace of God, then you must be depending upon yourself. And if you're depending upon yourself, that's a dangerous place to be. That's real dangerous. Maybe Samuel's excessive mourning over Saul has introduced a spirit element of fear and unbelief in his heart. Samuel didn't have anything to worry about because God promised to show him what to do. Take a heifer and go to the town and say you're going to sacrifice. Look at verse 3. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one that I named to you. <laughs> Was God telling Samuel to lie? This was truth. Samuel had better offer a sacrifice if he was going to do what God told him to do. All he was doing was not tell them why he really was there. He didn't want to enrage Saul. He didn't tell anybody why he was there in Bethlehem. And I love verse 4. 
And verse 4 says, So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? Why do you think they trembled? Who knows why they trembled? Bible quiz number 101. Who remembers? He was a judge. Samuel was a judge. Anybody remember last week a king by the name of Agag? Thank you. Chopped them up into little pieces. He did what he, he did what Saul couldn't do. So maybe they're thinking, why is this coming God coming here? Does he have his sword with him? <laughs> Whose head is he going to chop off now? What's going on? So naturally they were fearful. Do you come in peace? <laughs> do you come in peace? Yes, I come in peace. They were afraid. Samuel tells the elders, hey, I come in peace. Look at verse 5. And he said, peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. This is what the Lord told him to do. Go to Bethlehem. Go to Bethlehem, take a heifer with you for sacrifice. Invite everybody for a sacrifice, but make sure you invite Jesse and his family. Get them to sacrifice. Consecrate them. Set them apart. Get them ready. Get them cleansed and be ready to receive this sacrifice. And it's interesting that here we see Jesse. Jesse. Whose son was Jesse? Ruth and Boaz. You said Boaz. I I didn't hear you. I thought you said Boaz. Ruth and Boaz's son was named Jesse. Ruth and Boaz's son was named Jesse. And Jesse had a gaggle of kids. He had a whole bunch of kids. No, actually, Jesse, excuse me, I, I, I misspoke. Let me back up a minute. Obed was the son of Ruth and Boaz. Jesse was Obed's son. I'm sorry, I misspoke. David is their great-grandson. David is their great-grandson. Sorry. So in verse 6, the parade of sons begins. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, the first question that comes to my mind, when Samuel said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him, did the Lord say, Don't call me surely. No, I'm not sorry. I had to say that. That was on my mind. I had to say that. You thought of it too. Come on. Samuel says, surely this is the one. Is he anxious? Does he want to anoint the kid and get out of here because he's worried that Saul's lurking around the corner and wanting to kill him? I don't know what happened here. But then we come to this beautiful verse in verse 7, this glorious verse in verse 7, which still pertains today. Let's read it. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Praise God for that. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at a heart and a man. We see somebody and we've already made up our mind about them. By their dress, by the way they have their hair, by the number of tattoos they have on their arm, by the way they wear their hat, whatever. We've already made up our mind when we look at them. Unfortunately, sometimes we make up our mind by the color of their skin. We've already made up our mind about them. Man looks at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outside of someone. We look at the physical. The Lord looks upon the heart. 
The Lord can see into your heart. He knows your heart. He knows that your heart is deceitfully wicked. He knows that. Jeremiah said, who can know it? No, the Lord knows it. He knows every act of your heart. He knows it. But we judge by appearance, clothing, where they speak. We judge them. We're ever so critical. But God knows the heart because he looks into the heart. We can tell how men look. But God can tell you what's inside a man. God sees inside the heart and knows. Man looks on the outside and we're pleased with the physical. We're very physical oriented. We're pleased with that. We're pleased with their appearance. We're pleased with their outward qualities. But God looks in the heart because he sees and knows and it is a cerner of the hearts and the thoughts and the intents. God knows. God knows. I've said this many a time. You can fool me a lot of times. But you can't fool God. You're not going to fool God. God is basically the saying, Samuel, stop operating by sight. I'll tell you when you come to the kid. I'll tell you who it is. Let's read verses 8 through 10 as the parade continues. So Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So parade goes by. Son after son after son comes by, and Samuel hears nothing from the Lord. The Lord doesn't want this one. The Lord doesn't want that one. In verse 11... And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then Jesse said, there remains the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. This poor kid was so disrespected in his own family, his father didn't even bring him out to see if Samuel would take him or if the Lord would want him. He was on the bottom rung of the family ladder. He was the shepherd. At the time, shepherds were always servants. They were always servants. He was a shepherd boy. He was the youngest. Yeah, we got this other one. There he is out there with the sheep. You know, if you want to look at him, well, be my guest. You can almost hear the disdain in Pop's voice. Youngest of eight. Youngest of eight. And number 11 says, And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all these young men, the youngest is there keeping the sheep? And Samuel said to him, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good looking. So look at this description we have of this young kid coming in. Ruddy, and bright eyes, and good looking. Basically the word ruddy Almost means like he was red, like Edom. It almost has the same meaning as Edom. Remember, Edom was all red. Jacob's brother, Esau, his name became Edom, but Esau was all red. There remains the youngest, this low regard that David was in his family. Right away, you see the heart of David. He's a shepherd. The Bible says tons about shepherds. The Bible is always talking about shepherds. You are sure. Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of 1 Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. Find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. Well, we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Right now, we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m., along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers, that we'll be wise in our decisions, and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying, and thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel, right here on A Sure Hope.